starting off with our teaching time, word-rooted prayer and worship, keeping your heart close to the flame. This is part two. And the text we're looking at is the book of James. James chapter 5, I want to do 13 through 18. James 5, 13 through 18. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. So now we know that that forgiving part wasn't an automatic thing. He's explaining it now. He will be forgiven, end of 15, 16. Therefore, in view of this, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. I'm not looking at all the details in that passage, but thinking specifically about prayer, this is the question I want to look at tonight. What does what does the Holy Spirit do? do inside my own skin to help me pray? I mean, most of us have some general concepts to which we attach kind of religious sounding words, words like, well, anointing, blessing, reviving, flowing, and the like. I know the terminology, but what, what actually happens, what actually happens when the Holy Spirit helps me pray? What should I be looking for? And surprisingly, I chose a text that doesn't mention the Holy Spirit specifically anywhere. But I think as we study it, you'll see the work of the Spirit more clearly. So I've got four or five thoughts I want to work through in this teaching time. For starters, point number one, effective prayer is directed toward a specific goal. I mean, we need to proceed kind of carefully here. When I say effective prayer needs a definite goal, I don't mean prayer should be selfish. James has already dealt with that in James 4, 2 and 3, where he says you you desire do not have, so you murder, you covet, and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. There's one problem. Here's another one. You ask and do not receive because because you ask wrongly just to spend it on your own passions. So my prayer life can, if I'm not careful, just be a religious expression of my own personal desires. It It can become self-centered. And James says, don't, don't let that happen. But, but prayer doesn't have to be selfish in order to be specific. That's our first point. Prayer needs a direction, focused on something. 
the text we just read is full of examples of prayer being specifically directed, but not selfish. Verse 13, there's the prayer for human suffering and need. Uh, Verses 14 and 15, there's the corporate prayer, praying for the physical needs of the church family. Verse 16, there's the corporate plan for confessing and receiving cleansing for personal sin. In 17 and 18, we have the example of Elijah, and he's praying for rain, first drought and then for rain. And, And the point of all those examples is these prayer situations that James is dealing with, they are very focused and very specific. These aren't people just sort of generally meditating on God. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm saying that's not the strongest way to emphasize the Holy Spirit's work in our prayer lives. Prayer situations were responses to specific situations, and and two, these were, by and large, these were corporate prayer situations. I mean, James uses Elijah's prayer time True enough, but he only uses Elijah to encourage the church praying together. Closed last week, Sunday night, looking at the danger of just kind of merely saying prayers. There might be times when we pray simply because we need to develop the habit of waiting on God. That's good. Devotional habit has a place of great importance We all need to wait on God. We all need to wait in his presence. We all need to know his voice. But but even there, there can be a danger. It's easy to enter the place of prayer with nothing more than just, uh, and it is, kind of a pagan concept of achieving some kind of inner peace. Just kind of getting tranquil on the inside. Prayer isn't mysticism. It can be petition, it can be intercession, it can be confession, it can be worship, it can be thanksgiving, but it can't be thoughtless. Prayer is not, I, I sense it sometimes, even, even in, our, in our worship, I, I, I sometimes wonder if, if there isn't a, a kind of, uh, I'm, I'm waiting to see I'm waiting to see what kind of inner feeling I'm going to get if we just repeat this course a few times. And, and I'm not saying that's bad, but I'm saying good worship and good prayer isn't blanking out. It is always thinking. It is always entering in. It is, it is always mentally processing what's happening. My mind doesn't need any more help than it's already weak enough with the tendency just to meander in God's presence. Something should occupy our minds when we pray. We're not emptying when we approach God. We're aiming. We're thinking. You can see this over and over again in the scriptures. So here's my first point still. Prayer is coming at something specific before God. There were people, you'll see it over and over again, when they pray, they pray about something. Abraham, 
Genesis 18, praying for Sodom, Gomorrah. He's got a cousin there. And you see this bargaining with God. Are you really going to destroy it for 50 people, 30 people, 20 people, 10 people? You know Abraham's after something with God. Jacob, wrestling with God. Genesis 32. I will not let you go until you bless me. He's not fooling around. He's after something. Moses, Exodus 32. Pleading. Comes down the mountain. They've been worshiping the golden calf. And God says, that's it. I've had it with these people. And Moses, please, please. (laughs) And he's interceding on their behalf. He's after something. 1 Kings 18. Elijah, prophets of Baal, calling on God to send fire down on the altar to prove his glory and greatness. He's after something. He's focused on something. Daniel 9. He sees that the time of Babylonian captivity, he's been studying the text. It's coming to an end. And the interesting thing there is, even though God's already promised certain a length of time and the captivity would be over and the time is coming, but that's not enough for Daniel. He's still pleading with God for the deliverance of his people. He's after something. Do do you see the pattern I'm trying to paint here? It's, it's, It's focused, especially corporate prayer times. Not, I don't agree with uh, everything that Charles Finney writes. He had some wacky theological ideas. But on prayer, here's a great quote. He said, a person must have some definite object before his mind. You cannot pray effectively for a variety of things all at once. The human mind is so constituted that it cannot fasten its desires intensely upon many things at the same time. That's not the way the Holy Spirit works. That's interesting. So it's focused on something specific. Two. Effective prayer follows through on spirit-given desires. I want to say two things here. The Holy Spirit, I believe, gives spiritual desires to people. That's one of the ways he works. You might not see it directly from our text from James, especially as his mention of Elijah, unless you knew some of the background. Elijah is the example James chooses to excite a passion for prayer in this church. Elijah prays for drought and then rain. Most people forget the first part of that. They just see Elijah praying for rain. Before he prayed for rain, he prayed for drought. Now, remember what we're talking about here. The Holy Spirit will encourage you to follow through on God-given desires. What would make anybody pray for drought? Rain is better than drought. Who does that? Why does Elijah do it? Well, 
He prays for drought because the people under the wicked leadership of King Ahab were turning their backs against God. They're becoming idolatrous and wicked. And Elijah prays to God to close the heavens of rain for three and a half years. And he does it, though James assumes the story's well enough that he doesn't tell us this. But if you go back, Elijah prays this way at the command of God. God gives Elijah this crazy desire, pray for drought. The people need a wake-up call. They need to know they're dependent on me. They need to know that I judge wickedness. So this wasn't just Elijah, the prophet, blowing his top, getting angry. The voice of God, the Holy Spirit, sets Elijah's heart on fire about the unrighteousness of the nation. The Holy Spirit is at the root of James' great effective prayer example. God moves hearts. He draws attentive souls to look at things, to think about things. Now, I know, we don't live by impulses. Nobody should. But at least examine them. Desires that come, you learn over time. God's very patient. One of the ways to recognize the Spirit's work, prompting prayer, is, is this. Take note of concerns and inclinations that grow beyond the ordinary routines of your daily life. I don't, I don't usually get that worked up about such and such. I can't figure out why for the last week God's been waking me up at night about this. I don't normally care that much about this. What's going on? Watch for an unusual sense of weight and burden. So point number one is prayer is always specific. Should be corporate prayer specific, aimed at something. It's not emptying, it's thinking. Number two, God gives desires, promptings. Be, be looking for how the Holy Spirit wants to work in your prayer life. Watch for passions that don't just go away with a good night's sleep. Some sense of weight, some sense of burden. An example, you're suddenly troubled about the condition of some unsaved person. They haven't been on your radar before. Now you can't get them off your mind. It's for sure Satan didn't plant that concern in your heart. What about the sleepy, cool condition of the church? I don't mean this church, I mean the church. Has that had a jarring effect on your conscience? That, that COVID's over and there's... In Cedarview Community Church, there's 200 people that are not coming back to church no matter what. Does that burden you in some way all of a sudden to pray? That's the Holy Spirit. That's how he works. That's how he brings intercession. The tendency, the, the tendency is far too often just to write these impressions off. Oh, that's just me. Maybe, maybe not. Test those kinds of things. Don't quench the Spirit's work. So I said that the Holy Spirit gives impressions and desires to people. There's a B under point two. 
prayer is deepened, the prayer life is deepened, the corporate prayer life is deepened when we follow through on what the Holy Spirit is prompting with diligent prayer. So the Holy Spirit influences, prompts, ideas, calls, invites. But we have to pray. After he speaks to our hearts, there are two mistakes that can short-circuit the work of the Holy Spirit in our prayer lives. Two mistakes that we can make. One, we can divert our attention to other things immediately and not heed the Spirit's summons to prayer. Probably happens more than we realize. Many of the Spirit's inclinations in our hearts are quenched before they fulfill their full intent. Other pursuits, distractions, time pressures can pull us away from the call to some specific spiritual task. Jesus talked about this. He talked about this. Matthew 13, 22, 23, you remember these words. As for the one that was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word, understands it, bears fruit, yields in one case 160, 30 fold, hearing the word. Interestingly, Jesus wrote on a time when this New Testament wasn't written, but God would speak. And there can just be distraction. That's one mistake. Here's the second mistake. We can offer up a quick prayer for the Lord to work in that situation. There. Did it. Now, all agree that's better than nothing. But that, it really doesn't line up, does it, with James' example of Elijah. Or the text that we studied last Sunday night. Remember Peter and John? They're told not to proclaim the name of Jesus. They're in prison. They're sent back to their church. Acts 4, and when they were released, they went with their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said. And when they heard it, they lifted, they lifted their voices together. It was a church thing. And it wasn't just a meditation thing. They lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord who made heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. Look, look upon their threats and grant your servants boldness. They go on and on and on about this. Or the text that the example James uses of Elijah. Anybody remember how many times Elijah prayed for rain? Seven times. Seven times. Do you know how he prayed? Text says he prayed seven times with his head between his knees. You try that. That's what it says. This isn't a picture of a guy saying, oh yeah, Lord, and uh, by the way, if you could, a little rain would be great. Thank you. Gotcha. He's, 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 he's got this burden. The burden came from God. God told him to pray, but he doesn't assume that that means just, there, pray. There's a, 
there's an earnestness, there's a, there's a passion, there's a, it's work to intercede in prayer. And that's why a lot of people don't like doing it. Do you know why you see some empty seats around here? Because there are all sorts of people. They would come to church Sunday night if only we didn't have prayer groups. That's not a guess. I get told that weekly. It's just too high a price to pay. We want to be a church. We want to be a church that reaches out and touches the world with the life and power of Jesus. But just please don't ask me to pray with another Christian out loud. What is that? So that's the, that's the other thing, the earnestness in prayer. The example of Elijah. Jesus deals with the same thing. Remember, I'm saying there are two mistakes, and the second one is the one we're looking at, where you just pray quick and we're done. Luke 11, Jesus said to them, which of you has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves? For a friend of mine has arrived for a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Question. Do you think Jesus is teaching that's what God is like when we pray? How many say no? You win. No. He's not saying that. He's saying, he's saying, even with people who can get that annoyed with us, we'll stay with something if the need is big enough. How much more a God who knows our heart before we ask, who's inclined to us as a loving heavenly father, not some stranger that you're waking up at night. You, you compare things that are similar. You contrast things that are different. That's what Jesus is doing here. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, underline that word, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, now the parable's over and Jesus is straight talk. Ask, it will be given you. Seek, you will find. Knock, it will be opened to you. Jesus seems to indicate that, indicate that one of our problems is we, we, we start praying for a need and then consider the task done and move on to something else, quitting too soon. I don't know why some prayers aren't answered right away. I don't know why everyone isn't healed right away. I haven't got answers to all those hypothetics. But they don't change the fact that Jesus says, you stay with it. Stay with it. Look at that shocking term. I underlined it verbally. It's in verse 8. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence. Jesus says that. I take that to mean there are times when we risk looking impudent in our refusal to quit asking. There are times we risk looking stubborn. Not always, but perhaps. But during times when we sense the Holy Spirit drawing us, burdening us with the call to prayer, Jesus is saying, please don't quit too soon. 
I think the simple rule is, I will keep asking, people ask me this all the time, does it show a lack of faith if I ask for the same thing over and over again? Should I just be trusting if I ask once? Here's my thinking. I think I should remain at prayer until A, the answer is given and the prayer is no longer needed. I like that one best, by the way, A. B, there's clear indication from the Lord that he has another plan in mind and that burden of prayer gets lifted sovereignly by God's own hand rather than laziness on my part. That does happen sometimes where God, God says, no, that's, that's not what we're doing here, Don. I like the example from David. You know the story it's after the death of his son is sick. Judgment for sin, by the way. Psalm 51, God does forgive David. Beautiful psalm. There are consequences to disobedience. Nathan, 2 Samuel 12, went into his house, went to David's house, the king. And the Lord afflicted the child. You better know how to handle verses like that. This isn't Satan. And the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. And therefore, David does what any one of us would do. David sought the Lord on behalf of the child. David fasted, went in, and lay all night on the ground. That sounds like Elijah, doesn't it? And the elders of the house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not. He did not eat food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, behold, while the child was still alive, we spoke to him and he did not listen to us. How then can we say to him, the child is dead? He may do himself harm. When David saw that his servants were whispering together, this is a great story. David understood the child was dead. David said to his servants, is my child dead? Yes, he's dead. And then David arose from the earth, washed, anointed himself, changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord, and he worshiped. And then he went to his own house, and when he asked... They set food before him. He ate. His servants are confused. Then his servants said to him, what is is this thing you have done? You fasted. You wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you arose. You ate food. And David said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. Now he's dead. Why would I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him. He shall not return to me. So you pray. Prayer should be aimed at something specific. It's not emptying the mind. This is not mysticism. It's calling out to God, especially especially corporately. That, that's, that's what it is. Prayer, following desires that God gives. 
that he puts within your heart. Not just racing on quickly and being distracted by other things, but allowing God-given desires to have their weight until either prayer is answered or God makes it clear that there's something else that he has as a plan at that time. That way, I, I, we cooperate with the Holy Spirit in our praying. We, we learn to listen to his voice. We learn to take his words seriously, and we pray with earnestness. doesn't mean shouting. I'm not talking about just volume. But even in our prayer groups in a situation like this, we're not doing that right now, but it's like the prayer for needs that I gave preamble to this morning. All of these things need to be kept from just slumbering, just like your car idling but not going anywhere. We constantly need the Holy Spirit to breathe life into all the things we do together. And everyone said, yeah, me too, me too. Thanks, Lord, for just this time that we have when we can open up our Bibles and we can study some of these important subjects. What's more important than our our prayer life together? and sensing the Holy Spirit work as we pray. Bless the rest, of, uh, the rest of this evening with your presence and grace. I ask it in your name. Amen.